right, if you would, take your Bible and open to Daniel chapter 5. This morning has been a great reminder. My heart's just full about the gift of what it means to be a part of a local church. If maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church or you know that God is calling you to get connected in a place of worship and service and ministry, I pray you'll take that step that it may not be here but that there would be a place that you would say, God, I need to be connected to the local church. The joy that comes from that, what it does in your life, in your soul, the, the hope that we find through Jesus as we gather with the people of God, I pray that this morning would be a reinforcement of that. Um, if you're a guest of ours, in the seat back in front of you, there's probably a little guest card or there's a QR code maybe on the seat back. You can use that to reach out to us. At the end of the service today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and I, I hope you'll see how the passage of Scripture we're studying leads right into the reason we're taking the Lord's Supper together today. And then after the Lord's Supper, we're going to stand up and we'll sing a final psalm together. During that psalm, if you need someone to pray with you, we'll have people down here at the front. Myself, Jim, Jeff will be down here. We'd love to pray with you this morning. If you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, that as you see people taking the Lord's Supper and say, you know what, I've, I've never put my trust in Jesus for salvation, I've never become a Christian, that this morning would be the day that you would take that step, that you would come down during that final song and we would be honored to pray with you and talk to you more about that. As we get started this morning, I want you to think about this passage of Scripture. Not to us, O oh God, not to us, but to your name be the glory for your loving kindness and your faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. Their gods are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have noses, but they can't smell anything. Hands, but they can't feel. Feet, but they can't go anywhere. No sound comes from their throat. And those who make those false gods become like them. But you, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. You, O people of God, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in him. He is your help and your shield. Psalm 115. This morning, I want you to imagine that you have received two invitations to a party. Now, if your social calendar is like my families. You don't have a lot of experience maybe with this, depending on what age your kids are, and we're coming out of COVID, and so you may not get a ton of party invitations, uh, or, or you maybe, maybe we're the coolest people around, and you get all kinds of party invitations. I don't know, but imagine you get two different invitations. One invitation to the party has all the right people there. It's going to be a place of status, of popularity, and let's be honest, it doesn't matter if you're in middle school or middle age. There's something about being invited to the popular place, to the popular party, a place of extravagance, probably a little wild. And then you receive another invitation, same day, same time. This invitation, let's be honest, probably won't have the coolest people there. This carpenter providing this party, he intends to invite the people who are outcasts and forgotten and pushed to the side. There'll be a lot of sinners there, but not to go crazy, but because this party is a place of joy and peace and love and hope. 
And you're like, okay, Owen, I understand. I'm supposed to go to Jesus' party and not the other party? That's right. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Let's look at this. Daniel 5, verse 1. Now there was a king there in Babylon, King Belshazzar. I'm going to do my best to say that name over and over again. I think that's how you say it. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Chapter 5 of Daniel is a party scene. It's a party put on by King Belshazzar. Now this is an interesting component, especially if you love church history and, and Bible history and getting into the background of things. King Belshazzar, for a long time, was thought to be an inaccuracy, an error in the Bible. Because looking through all the records of history, nobody could find his name. And then in the late 1800s, archaeologists actually uncovered certain tablets in this area, and there was King Belshazzar's name. King Belshazzar is going to be mentioned in this chapter as being the son of Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebuchadnezzar is called his father. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is not his direct biological father. He's called his father in the sense of he is a predecessor. He was one of the first kings of Babylon to come in when they captured Israel. But King Belshazzar is the last of these. He is ruling with his father, Nabonidus, at the same time. So King Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar represent the first and the last kings of Babylon at this time. And he's throwing this incredible party. Three words to describe the party that Belshazzar throws in chapter 5. Arrogance, blasphemy, and idolatry. He is a complete example of arrogance at this point. Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor in Babylon, built this incredible empire. All Belshazzar is known for is throwing parties. <laughs> He's the spoiled kid who takes over after all the work has been done in this empire. He takes it over and all he can do is throw parties. Now here's the interesting thing. This scene in chapter 5, we can actually tie down to early October 539 B.C., very rarely in Scripture can you get that precise, but we know that this situation in chapter 5 is early October, 539 B.C., and as Belshazzar is throwing this party, you know what's outside his city walls? The Medo-Persian army, ready to come in and capture the city, and he's throwing a party. Why? Well, maybe he's trying to unify his troops, knowing what they're going to face the next day. More than likely, it's complete arrogance. This is the diversion. All that matters is parting. There's a verse in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, 32, that says, if the dead are not raised, hear this verse, friends, if there's no resurrection, if there's no hope beyond today, if the dead are not raised, eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow you die. That is Belshazzar. There's no life beyond this. We're just going to party it up because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We'll die and it'll all be finished. Verse 2. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drink from them. Not only is he arrogant, but this is ultimate blasphemy. 
These objects from the temple in Jerusalem that Nebuchadnezzar had taken when he defeated Israel, now Belshazzar is using them for his party. Let's be honest what he's doing right here. He is spitting in the face of God. He sees that the Babylonians have defeated the Israelites, so Belshazzar thinks his gods have defeated the God of Israel, and now he's just spitting in his face because he's taking these instruments from the temple and he's using them for his party. Verse four, they drank wine from these and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Idolatry. Instead of giving worship to God who provided these things, he is worshiping the objects themselves. And before you're too hard on Belshazzar, realize how quickly we find ourselves there. Arrogance, blasphemy, forgetting God, and idolatry, treating, treating the good gifts of God as gods themselves. This is the feast that Belshazzar provides here. What happens next? This is the story you probably heard in Vacation Bible School or Sunday School. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared. Belshazzar's like, what did they put in, those, uh, in that drink? Or what, what did I get here? The, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. Now, archaeologists have been able to excavate this area, and what they found is that the walls of these rooms would have been coated in gypsum, in, in this white powder. So literally, as the hand wrote, you would have seen it appear on this wall. So you see all these connections coming to place, and this is obviously the hand of God at work here. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. No kidding. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Quick aside, um, that language right there is a very polite way of saying that he needed a new pair of pants. Um, when you look at the language, what the Bible translators have done is they have toned it down for what they considered appropriate church reading the language is, yeah, he was that scared. Um, and, and that's the way that, that that should be translated. In fact, some of the older versions actually give you that idea. Um, but, but I wanted to be very clear. That's exactly how terrified he is here. Verse 7. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, and if you're wondering, yes, connection with the wise men of Jesus' birth. The people in this area were known for looking at the stars and, and seeing signs of things that were going on in the world. So if you make a connection between this and the wise men at Jesus' birth, that's perfectly appropriate. Those, those two things go together. The king declared, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in. No surprise here. They could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. So King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Now here's the embarrassing moment for him, verse 10. The queen, which you may have a note in your Bible that says the queen mother, this is either his mother, his grandmother, or possibly a great aunt who's going to come into to the scene here. The queen mother, because of the words of the king and his lords, 
came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. You moms who love, or grandmoms who love to embarrass your kids or grandkids, that's exactly what's happening here. He can't figure this out, and so mom has to break in not only to his party, which what kind of embarrassment is that, that your mom breaks into the party that you're hosting, and now she's going to provide the answer. And this would have been totally demoralizing for a king of the ancient world for mom or grandma to show up at this moment. Verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, speaking about Nebuchadnezzar as the predecessor, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made this man chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So verse 13, Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to, said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. Man, he's spiteful. He, he's talking down today. He cannot stand the idea that a Jewish exile is about to be brought in to solve this problem. Arrogance is just bleeding through the story at this point. Verse 14, I have heard of you. I mean, I've heard the stories, but I don't particularly care. I haven't paid any attention to them. I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they couldn't show me the interpretation. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said, Keep your gifts. (laughs) Give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. This is picking up last week's story that that we looked at. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. So Nebuchadnezzar went from pride to humility. And you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. Can we stop there just for a second because we need to see something here? Belshazzar heard the stories of God's power in Babylon. 
He heard of Nebuchadnezzar's fall from pride, humility before the Lord, giving praise to the Lord. He heard these stories, and he didn't care. It didn't change anything for him. He never humbled himself. Friends, if you've grown up in a Christian home, and you have a church background in your family, and you've heard the stories of God's goodness year after year after year, be careful that you don't harden your heart against the word of the Lord. It's easy if you've grown up in a church background or a Christian background to say, I've heard these stories. I grew up. I've I've had to go to vacation Bible school. I had to go to Sunday school. And it's created pride and not humility. May God get your attention this morning, that your heart would be humbled before him, that you would know these stories are not just these that we hear, but we would know the goodness and the power and the glory of God. The vessels of his house have been brought in before you, Belshazzar, And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold. Now, we don't have a ton of time for this, but Daniel flips gold first and then silver. And he mentioned silver first now instead of gold. Why? Because he's triggering back to that dream that was back there in chapter 2 of Daniel. And it's his way of saying, hey, that silver kingdom, the second one, yeah, it's coming. The gold one's gone. Silver's going to be first now. Silver is going to rise to power. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored that God. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was described, and this is the writing that was written on the wall. Many, many, tekel and parson. Well, no wonder they couldn't figure out it. <laughs> many, many, tekel and parson. What, what's going on here? And this, this is a rich passage. Uh, if you really like to go uh, strong on background and the way the pieces of Scripture fit together, I have a couple of articles that I read this week. I'd love to send you. Just send me an email. Say, hey, I'm interested in that. I'll send them to you. There's some interesting background going on here. But here's the interpretation in verse 26. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Let me tell you that in each of these verses that we're about to look at, there are three levels of interpretation going on. There's a reference to money. There's a reference to an action that God has taken. And there's a reference to a result. So if you like to draw charts or or lay this out, what you have is three verses— with three different words mentioned, and each one has three layers to the interpretation. A reference to an amount of money, a reference to an action of God, and a reference to a result. Here, the mina, or, the, or sometimes said the mina, an amount of money that was 60 shekels. It is a large amount of money, but God has numbered your days. Your days are coming to an end. Verse 27 Tekel, which is just the Aramaic word for a shekel, for one-sixtieth of an amount of money, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. What's he telling Belshazzar? He's telling Belshazzar, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, he was 60 times greater than you are. Talk about a slap in the face. Nebuchadnezzar was worth 60 shekels. You're worth one. You're a lightweight dude. You throw parties, but you haven't done anything with your life, and you sure haven't humbled yourself before the Lord. You think you're great because of your arrogance and blasphemy and idolatry? 
You're a lightweight. You're, you're not worth anything. Now, he's got to be getting mad at, at this point because his life is being weighed for whether or not it really amounts to anything. Here's the amazing thing. At the very moment that this is happening, that this party is taking place, the constellation Libra is in the sky. And Libra is the constellation that is associated with weighing something on scales or weighing something in the balance. God has put in the sky with the stars exactly what he has put on the wall in this throne room. The next one, verse 28, Paris, a reference to half of something. Your kingdom is now divided and is given to the Medes and the Persians. Verse 29, then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Why the reference to Darius being 62 years old? How much is Amina worth? 60. Plus one shekel, plus a half of a shekel. 61 and a half, almost 62. God's control over this empire is so precise that it's down to the very age of the next ruler who would come in and take over. Don't miss the main themes of this passage. Don't miss what God is saying to us in this moment. We must recognize the glory and power and majesty of the God who rules over every kingdom on earth. That his people would learn to trust him that when you look around and you think, is God's team really winning? Like you look around the world, it seems like things are out of control and all the people who hate the Lord are prospering and everything is falling apart. Friends, trust him. Down to the very constellations in the sky, down to the very age of the rulers, down to the very length of the kingdoms, he is perfectly in control and he loves you. And he is in control of your life and he's at work in your life. We're called to trust him. And when you see his glory, I love the Falls Creek shirts. I mean, I'll wear a t-shirt any Sunday, but I love that the Falls Creek shirts this week said glory. Glory is a word associated with the weight and the worth and the power of God. And when you see his greatness and you look at the feast and parties of this world, you would see how light and meaningless they are. Because it doesn't matter if you're a high schooler invited to a party you shouldn't be at or if you're in middle age living for the gods of this world the feast of this world can be alluring they can draw us in they look so good and yet proverbs and ecclesiastes and every page of scripture says they ultimately lead to destruction now what does this have to do with jesus what does this have to do with the gospel can I tell you this morning, there is a type of feasting that leads to death, and there's a type of death that leads to feasting. There is a contrast in this passage between the way of Belshazzar and the way of Jesus of Nazareth. There is a kind of feasting that leads to death, and there is a kind of death that leads to feasting. Famous verses from Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to these verses from Isaiah 53. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The feast of Jesus probably wouldn't have the glitz or glamour or status or popularity or extravagance to draw the people of the world to him. It's a different feast. It's a feast of humility and peace and love and joy. Isaiah 53, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. True and lasting life is not found in the feast of this world. True and lasting life is found in the life of the one who gave his life for you. That he became sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might have the righteousness of God. There's a way of feasting in this world that will lead to death. And there's the death of the one who loves you that will lead to feasting. What do we know about the feast of Jesus? We know he provided the Last Supper. We know he provided where his people would gather around and remember that he gave his body and his blood for them. The feast that we are going to have this morning as a church with the Lord's Supper, it's simple, it's humble. People would look at this from the outside and say, what are you guys doing? It makes no sense. Why not come over here to this feast? Because we believe with the body and blood of Jesus we find true and lasting eternal life. And the type of true and lasting eternal life that begins now with daily joy. Remember, 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 remember. You might go home today and say, well, Jesus didn't like parties or feasting. Oh, no, on the contrary. He loved parties and feasting. He was actually accused of being a glutton of loving parties too much. But they were parties built on true love and joy and peace and holiness. That as the people of God, we would be known as those who love feasts, but feasts that come from the goodness of God. And here's the beauty of Scripture. Here's why I tell you this over and over and over again. The reason I believe so strongly in the truth of the Scripture is the way that all the pieces fit together. Because how does your Bible end? It ends with this beautiful picture of an eternal heavenly feast. This great wedding banquet where all the people of God are gathered together. The fake, destructive, deadly feast of Belshazzar is overcome by the death and resurrection of Jesus that points us to the joy of an eternal feast with God's people for all of time. This morning, have you trusted in Jesus for salvation? Which party are you a part of? What are you giving your life to? Give your life to what lasts. Give your life to what matters. Let's be people of joy, people of feasting, people of hope. Let me pray for you. We're going to be invited to the Lord's table to remember that together. Father, today, as we gather together, and we think about this feast that Belshazzar was providing, God, help us to remember how quickly we can get sucked in by the feasts of the world. We might think that this is a teenage problem, but, but it's not. This is throughout our life, God, that, that we can be 
drawn in by arrogance and blasphemy and idolatry, things that look appealing, seem so great at the time, and yet lead to destruction. God, remind us of the greater feast. Remind us of how good Jesus is, that Jesus is better than anything this world could ever offer, that Jesus provided his life, his blood, so that our sins would be forgiven, and he rose from the dead so that we would have the hope of not only daily joy, but eternal joy. And Father, I pray this morning that if there is someone here who has never trusted in Jesus, maybe they've never seen the power of your word, maybe they've never thought about what they were giving their life to, God, that today that they would trust in Jesus for salvation. And so, Father, as we gather here for the Lord's Supper, Remind us that our hope is found in Christ. And God, that he would be where we would find true and lasting joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.